Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. As we get down to the end times, things are happening left and right and right and left all around us. <clears throat> and we know that something that was very important to us, the Sabbath day, has been attacked by Satan. And some have made some remarkable turnarounds. We find that back in Revelation chapter 3 some interesting words to the church in Philadelphia. In verse 7 it says, The angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he that is holy and is true, and he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door that no man can shut. As we look back through the early days of the Philadelphia church, we realize that this church began very, very small. Couldn't be any smaller. The man wasn't interested, in fact, as he was embarrassed and, and angry about the church, and the wife listened to a neighbor and began to be convinced about something. What was she convinced about? What was Mr. Herbert Armstrong's wife convinced about? That Jesus was Lord? Well, a lot of people believe Jesus was Lord. That man will be saved, that God is good, that God is powerful, that God is merciful, that grace, that forgiveness of sin. She became convinced about the Sabbath day. And this work began very, very tiny. One woman holding out against one man, despite his objections, him saying, you know, this is crazy, you're going to embarrass me. But lo and behold, it was the Sabbath day. When Mrs. Armstrong came in contact with the truth, it was through the Sabbath. As Mr. Armstrong disproved the Sabbath, he found that he was wrong, and in fact the Sabbath was right, and he began to go into other truths. But it was through the Sabbath that God opened the door to his mind. And as we read about Philadelphia, here is this little tiny church. It says, it says, you have a little strength, but you've kept my word. And keeping the Sabbath is part of keeping my word. And you've not denied my name and throwing out the Trinity and proving that God is a family and that we have an opportunity to be in the family of God was part of the truth that Mr. Armstrong learned and passed on down through the generations. And we did a work. They tried to shut the door. But no man can shut that door because God opened that door. At the same time, you know, here in the latter uh, last few years, we've, we've tried to do a work. We've had the magazine was up and running. We had airplanes and ministers and contacts and money, and nothing happened. Because the Scripture says, you know, when I shut the door, and why would God shut the door? Could it possibly be because the message isn't what the message was, that the messages begin to change, that the famine of the Word had started? Sure could be. He says, when I shut the door, no man can open it. So you can know all the people in Hollywood. You can know all the TV stations. You can already have a TV studio up. You can have a big name. You can already have a magazine going. But if it's not preaching the Word of God, it goes nowhere. God says, when I shut the door, nobody can open that. Verse 9, we run into something. He says, I'm going to make those that are of the synagogue of Satan, which say they're Jews, but they're not but lie. I'm going to make them come and acknowledge you. See, to come to you and, and, and know and acknowledge that, in fact, I loved you. And we get down to an end time when we realize that Satan the devil has started another church down many years ago, and that church came out of a little lamb that looked just like a lamb, but when you got around it, it began to speak like a dragon. And it had different days, not holy days, but holidays. It had a day of worship, but not the seventh day of the week, but the first day of the week. And there were all kinds of reasonings and powers and so forth. 
And at the end, they have the authority because she gets in bed with this great powerful nation and she forces her religion and her worship on you. Mark of the beast. It begins to be forced out. But yet we find a group of individuals who hold fast, who there are other, other people who are saying, no, God doesn't love you. They say they're Jews, but in fact God says, no, I know better. They're not Jews. In fact, is they're going to force you out of the temple. It says here, you will go. He says, look at verse 12. He says, he that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go no more out. Why would you go out? Because you were forced out by those who say they are Jews and who are not. And in fact is, when they began to embrace the religions and the holidays and the days of this world, they are embracing the mark of the beast. They are embracing the synagogue of Satan. Whether they know it or not, whether they want to admit it or not, that is in fact true. And so there's a prophecy at the end time of a little church starting out small but becoming very strong, but then at the same time the door shutting down, being forced out of a temple, but no more to go out, being forced out by those who say they are Jews and are not. But he says, when I come back, I'll write on you the name of my God. Well, when you're called by the name of God, what does that mean? kind of reminds you of the book Incredible Human Potential, doesn't it? called by the name of my God, the name of the city of my God that comes down out of heaven and my new name. So we find and we, we go down through these scriptures and we realize the church started very small. We see Mr. Armstrong's history. We see the Sabbath involved. And we recognize that just before Christ's return, there is a powerful group that goes out through all the world that has a different day and that begins to force it on people, on you trying to force it on you to where you have to stand up against the mark of the beast. You have to stand up and look to the Sabbath day and look to the holy days. And yet at the same time, we're being told that that's Jewish. That's, that's, that's not only Old Testament, that doesn't even apply until Mount Sinai. What we're going to do in the sermon is we're going to go back into the Old Testament again. And for some of us, it'll be review, but review is good. We're going to go back and we're going to find that just like when God began to deal with Mrs. Armstrong, he dealt with the Sabbath first. We're going to go back, and you'll see some scriptures that maybe you hadn't seen before that show the Sabbath throughout time, throughout time dealing with men and women of the scripture. Let's look back in Genesis chapter 3 to start. <clears throat> Again, I know a lot of it is review, but we'll come back through rather quickly on some of this. In Genesis chapter 3... <clears throat> we find that there are no Jews around at this time. Jews don't come on the scene until Judah, and Judah doesn't come on until Jacob. So the Sabbath was not meant for Jews, contrary to one of the church fathers, uh, uh, Justin Martyr, who was a uh, church father in the Catholic Church early on, and he said that the Sabbath was made as a punishment for Jews. That was his attitude. That's what he said. That's in his writings. It was a punishment for Jews. Well, when God began to call Mrs. Armstrong, did he try to introduce her to punishment? Did God call you out of the world and introduce you to punishment, some sort of Sabbath punishment, and then take it away and go the other direction? Think not. Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 2, it says, On the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested. Now we're going to find the word rest appear a lot with the Sabbath. He rested not on any day he wanted. He picked the seventh day. He said the seventh day from all the work that he had made, and he blessed the seventh day and set it apart. 
because that he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now, sometimes a person might read that and say, well, why was the seventh day set aside? Well, God was tired. Well, no, God wasn't tired. Well, he picked it there. No, Jesus Christ tells us in Matthew 2 that the Sabbath was made for man. Now, if I ask you to make a cake, if you were going to make a cake and you said, I made it for you. Now, when you make something for someone, you have them in mind, don't you? I really know that you like walnuts, or I know that you don't like walnuts. I know that you're a diabetic, so I left this out and I substituted this. I know that you don't like coconuts, so I made it this way. I made it for you. I made it for you. So the Sabbath was made for man. That means God had a purpose in mind when he made the Sabbath. It wasn't that he just made it and just say, well, let's see if we can watch people keep the Sabbath or not, or let's put it on hold for a while until we get some Jews and then we'll punish them with the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was made for man, and that means there was a specific purpose for it. Now, later on, we'll see Christ dealing with that purpose and having to contradict uh, some additions that had been added to the Sabbath later on. Now, we shouldn't be surprised to see that whenever God begins to deal with someone, just like Mrs. Armstrong, that one of the first things that we see is the Sabbath day. Now, we find it with Adam and Eve, the, the, the first thing. The Sabbath was made for man. Well, there was no man around, but Adam and Eve, here it was. So here is the Sabbath. But we know there is sin involved. Well, let's look over in chapter 4, because now after the, <clears throat> the uh, taking of the, the, the tree and being basically booted out of the Garden of Eden, we find something that is mentioned here. God is still dealing with Adam and Eve's children. He deals especially with Cain. And they get together in chapter 4, and after they're born here, then we get to verse 2. She again bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, not a keeper of, of uh, pork, you know, not a, not a pig farmer, you know, again, sorry, but uh, clean and unclean didn't come in at Mount Sinai. This was something from the get-go. This is why all of God's laws, you will see that when God begins to deal with someone, he introduces them to these things. They begin to pick them up. They begin to see them. So Adam and Eve's children understood clean and unclean foods. They understood sacrifices because you know what? God did the first sacrifice when he killed the animal and covered Adam and Eve with with the skins and, of course, poured out the blood. So Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain tilled the ground. That's not bad, not wrong. Verse 3, though, it says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock. So Abel brought you know, the, the farm stuff as well. But Abel understood the blood sacrifice. This is why God had, had respect. In other, and if we look later on in the Scripture, we find that fire oftentimes would come down and consume a sacrifice. And so we don't know how he had respect to it, but he had respect to this offering, but not Abel's, or sorry, not Cain's. Why? Well, because already sin was being introduced. Sin was understood. The law was understood. There were certain ways that you did sacrifices, and Cain didn't do it. But Abel was a righteous man. Because we go back in Hebrews 11, what's it say? That Abel, by faith, 
gave a different and a better sacrifice because he understood. So he went ahead and killed an animal, and God, God accepted that. And the Scripture even says that God told Cain, he says, if you don't do better, he said, sin is at the door. So when God is dealing with these young men, we find sacrifices and, and all of this tied in. But you know something else we find? And it's really easy to miss right here. And in verse, uh, verse 3 when it says, in the process of time, but let me read to you what Adam Clark, who has a whole commentary, it's a great big thick commentary, he's dead now, but years ago wrote about this verse. He says, in the process of time, <clears throat> the literal meaning means at end of days. He says, some think this is the anniversary of the creation, but he says, it's more probable that it means the Sabbath. He says, on which Adam and his family undoubtedly offered oblations to God as the divine worship was certainly instituted, and no doubt the Sabbath properly observed in that family. This is what Adam Clark has to say about this verse, that, and it would make sense. Adam and Eve knew about the Sabbath. Now we find God showing up, and at, at the time here we find a sacrifice. You couldn't just do it any old way. You couldn't just, hey, come on, God, lighten up. I brought a sacrifice. I brought an offering. He says, no, we do it my way. And around the Sabbath day. Now let's go over to chapter 5. We find now men and women hanging on to the truth. We find them hanging on to the truth, and it's kind of interesting. Maybe you hadn't thought of it this way, but you know, when Abel died, he was replaced by Seth. Now, Seth, if we follow his line on down, they knew God. They preached the truth. They understood things, and they passed it from one generation to another. In fact, is Enoch is called the seventh because he was the seventh righteous man down the line. Other brothers were going off different directions. Cain's brother was going, you know, Cain and his family and, and others, they were going off their way. But God's line was still coming down through because the truth was still being passed on down. In fact, is it's interesting when you look at some of the names given to the children because again it shows what you think about when you name your child <clears throat> for example you've got Seth which was a replacement uh, you come on down and, and you follow the uh, the sons verse 4 uh, Adam and then you've got Seth this is chapter 5 uh, then you've got uh, verse 6 is Enos and then after Enos he has um, another son Cain uh, it's Kenyan or Kenyan in uh, verse 9, which means a possession, a possession. Then after him, you've got verse 12. He lived 70 years, and he had Mahela Lee, I think is how you say that. You know what that means? It means praise of God. See, these men understand. He says praise of God. So he runs around. That's his son's name. Then he has a son, verse 15, named Jared. Jared, Jared means descent. See, coming down. You know, God is going to come down. In fact is, he teaches his son that. His name is Descent. And when it comes time, he has a son named Enoch. What is Enoch's name? Enoch's name means, in the Hebrew, teaching or initiation. To initiate, to begin, to teach. Hold your place there and go to Jude 14. We find that... We're going to find the Sabbath day throughout all of these things. We're going to find the truth throughout all these things. In Jude chapter 14, <clears throat> and if you count, Enoch is the seventh. 
And so this truth is being passed on down, and we can even see it in the words and in the name. Jared is descent. His son is Enoch, which means teaching. And as Enoch grows up and begins to teach, what do you think he's teaching? Do you know what he names his son? His, name, his son's name is Methuselah. Do you know what Methuselah means? Methuselah means when he is dead, it shall be sent. Now, if you trace down through the history, Methuselah died the year of the flood. So Enoch, daddy's name is descent. He says, I name you teaching or initiation. And what does Enoch teach? And how does he know what to teach? Because it's been passed down. And we'll find the Sabbath here as we go through. Uh, verse 14, Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, quote, Behold, the Lord comes. Or the Lord descends. See, that was his dad's name, wasn't it? Descend. The Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Well, judgment, see, it'll, it'll end when he dies. So he names his son Methuselah. So you run around and you say, when, when he dies, it will be sent. That was his name. See, you don't name people that unless you understand the plan, unless you are being worked with, unless you have an idea about what's going on. So here Enoch is saying, I'm teaching, dad is descent, my son is, when he dies it will be sent, and I'm preaching the Lord will come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. You can't execute judgment on all unless part of them are resurrected, unless people are brought back to life. See, he understands some of these things that are being passed on down. Not the whole world, the whole world doesn't understand because God cut the children of Adam off and they began to be scattered. But he began to work with certain ones down through the line, and they began to pass these things on until finally Methuselah has a son named Lamech, and Lamech means powerful, and then Lamech, he understands, so he names Noah rest, like the Sabbath, rest. And he says, the reason I named him that, he says, because God will give us rest or comfort from all of the things that are going on. That's a prophecy. When you name your children this, that's like naming your kid the millennium. You say, well, he named him the millennium. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean he understood the millennium. Oh, well, why would he name him millennium? Why would he name him world tomorrow? Why would he name him these things? So we find that these men and women understand certain things as we go. Let's go back to Genesis now. <clears throat> chapter, uh, we've gone through five. And we get into chapter six. And lo and behold, <clears throat> we uh, find God working with, uh, with Noah here, which shouldn't surprise us any. And we shouldn't be too surprised since God has worked with the family all the way down, the dad, the grandfather, the great-grandfather, the great-great-grandfather, that we should find a presence of the Sabbath. In fact is, how come God talks to Noah? When does he talk to him? What days would God talk to Noah? You suppose it might be the Sabbath day when he would talk to Noah? So we get to um, uh, chapter um, 6 in Genesis, and in verse 5, God saw the wickedness, wickedness of man was great. And uh, we get down to verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, walked with God. He walked with God. Now when you walk with God, you're going to learn certain things. What are some of the things that you would learn? You wouldn't have to have a, a big set of Ten Commandments and a whole Bible full of stuff if you walked with God, if your parents had walked with God. So he begins to talk to him and he says, look, 
I'm going to wipe out the earth. Verse 12, he says, he looked on the earth and it was corrupt and all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth. And he said to Noah, the end of all flesh is before me and the earth is filled with violence. So he's going to get rid of, of the people and so forth and begin to work. Now, as he begins to do this, we get to chapter 7. And in verse 2, of every clean beast, you'll take into you by sevens. Again, why not by sixes? Why not by fives? And what is clean here? Well, because mom and dad knew, grandpa knew, great-grandpa knew, it was passed on down through Noah uh, to Noah, and Noah didn't have to have this explained. He understood this. So this isn't something new. And just like with Mrs. Armstrong, just like here with Noah, whomever, whenever you see that God begins to deal with someone, he begins to reveal these things to them. So clean and unclean foods. Verse 4, God says, Yet seven days I'll cause it to rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. Now that's interesting. Whatever day that it starts raining on, seven days earlier, God is there. See, God and Noah are talking. And he says, seven more days from now, this is going to happen. Well, why seven? Why not five? Why not eight? Because God is dealing with his family. He's dealing with Noah here, and it is the Sabbath day. It's not six days, it's not eight days, it's not nine days. So it is the Sabbath day. Then we find um, these things take place, and sure enough, verse 10. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Now, all of these days, brethren, are Sabbaths, and most of your commentaries will tell you, with the exception of chapter 8, verse 5. All of them are Sabbaths, the days that are mentioned. So, uh, even on this day, remember, God had been there earlier, and he says seven days later it's going to rain, and guess who we find there? We find God there, verse 16, they went in, male and female, and God, as God had commanded, and the Lord shut him in. So he was there talking to him. Noah walked with God. Noah, God is there. Seven days later he comes back. He locks him in uh, the ark. We get into chapter 8, <clears throat> and we find that, verse 7, that they landed on the, uh, on the ark here, or landed, and it says, he sent forth a raven. I wonder what day he did that. Hmm, doesn't say. Well, verse 8, he sent forth a dove. Doesn't say. Verse 9, but the dove found no rest, and he came back. Verse 10, he stayed yet another seven days. So we know the days that he was sending these animals out was a certain day. Wonder why. Wonder what day it was. Well, of course, it would be the Sabbath day, wouldn't it? So even though this great false church in the end time is going to try to say that they changed it and all of this, when you find godly people coming in contact with God, just as Mrs. Armstrong, you will find the presence of the Sabbath because the law, the prophets, the holy days, all of that ties together with Jesus Christ. So verse 10, he stayed another seven days. So he sent out the, uh, the dove, and the dove came back uh, with a piece of olive branch. Verse 12, but yet he stayed another seven days. He didn't go back out. He stayed another seven days and, uh, and did it again. And then verse 13, it came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, and the first day of the month, and most commentaries have gone back through and they said that, in fact, would be a Sabbath as well. It's also interesting, verse 4, the ark rested, and that's an interesting word. Remember, Moses is to give them rest. The Sabbath is a day of rest. And here is a time when all the earth is at peace. It is completely quiet. There are no animals the knowledge of the Lord has covered the earth like the waters cover the sea, if you will. There's nothing out there, and you're going to start all over again. And what day is mentioned here? Right in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
in the middle of the millennium, the big thousand-year rest. Now, something else that's interesting, we've been told in the past that the Hebrew calendar was not important. The Hebrew calendar came into effect around um, with the Israelites and came into effect around Mount Sinai. How, how did they know what days these were? How long you know, later was this? I mean, think about that. Here we go all the way back in the time of the flood, and, and what calendar is being used to chronicle this? You know, waited here, then it was seven days, then it was the seventh month, and it was the 21st or 8th or 5th or whatever, and it was this day of the month, because when God is working with the only family on the face of the earth, and when he worked with Adam and Eve, the only family, guess what, was the Sabbath. And then later on, when they were wiped out, after their families had prophesied and named their sons after what was going to happen, God only has one family to deal with. And what happens? The Sabbath. Wait seven days. Send out a bird. Wait another seven days. It'll rain. Wait seven days. I'll show up and I'll shut you in. You know, land in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. Know when it is, according to the calendar. Then turn around. Send out a bird. Wait seven days. Send out another bird. Wait seven days. And then come out and offer only clean animals. So again, as we look at this, we find that God is dealing. There's only one group of people on the whole face of the earth. And that is Noah and his family. So again, we find the Sabbath day. Surprise, uh, surprise. Okay, let's go to Genesis 26. Genesis chapter 26. <clears throat> now, Genesis 26, Adam is already, I'm sorry, Abraham has already done his thing. And none of these were Jews, by the way. So, as Justin Martyr said, punishment for the Jews, and it was made for the Jews. The Sabbath was made for man. And if you, God starts to deal with you, then God reveals that the first thing he does is, is the Sabbath day. He begins to help you in that way. But Genesis 26 and in verse 5, God is telling Isaac about his dad Abraham and that Isaac was going to receive all these blessings. In other words, I'm going to bless your family because of your dad. And, I'm, and he gives him all these blessings in verse 4. And then he says, here's the reason why. Verse 5, he says, Because your dad, Abraham, obeyed my voice, he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So there's not just like one fuzzy law out there, obey God. There are commandments. But most people wouldn't know that because most people don't walk with God. God is only walking with a few people. When he does, you're supposed to teach your children about it. And so it sort of comes down to the next generation, the next generation. Now, Abraham's uh, parents were not necessarily godly people. They had lost a lot of information. In fact, as one scripture indicates that maybe they might have even worshipped idols. But Abraham was not named for uh, the way he should be. God changed his name. God changed it from Abram to Abraham because he would be father of princes and went on down the line. And you find after that that uh, God is involved very much naming names. God gave the name of Isaac. God did not name the name of, uh, of Jacob until Jacob was converted. And God changed his name from deceiver or supplanter or one that cuts in line to uh, prince of God. Israel is what, Jacob, or is what Israel means, is prince of God. But again, we find here commandments, statutes, judgments, and that's one of the things that Mrs. Armstrong uh, was taught, and so were you. 
It's absurd to think that God has called you out of the world, given you this information, and all of a sudden one day you wake up and say, well, this has really been a burden, it's been actually a punishment, and God didn't really mean to reveal all of this to us. In fact, is the other, the other side was, was right all along. Let's look at chapter 29, verse 18. Here, dealing with the marriage ceremony and so forth, Jacob loved Rachel, chapter 28. And here he begins to sort of talk about seven. Verse 27, he says, uh, fulfill her week. Uh, or I'm sorry, verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel. Why seven? Verse 27, fulfill her week and we will give her uh, give this also for the service that you will serve with me yet seven other years. So we find seven. We find seven years. We find this being introduced and talked about. Now one of the reasons is that Jacob understands uh, God. Jacob is, is understanding this. He's been raised with it. In Genesis chapter 28, we find that Jacob, for the first time, really comes in contact on his own with God. Kind of that one-on-one -on -one relationship. You know, God's been his dad's God. He's been his, his grandfather's God. But in chapter 28, we find that Jacob is leaving and he comes to a place and he sets up his bed, and he takes this rock and he puts his head on it, which later on, possibly, that rock might have been carried with the Israelites through the wilderness, and it might be the same rock that's underneath a chair in England today that the kings of uh, England have been coronated on called Jacob's Pillar Stone. It's possible, but uh, neither here nor there. Uh, verse 11, chapter 28, Jacob stayed uh, at a certain place, and he spent the night there, and he got these stones, and in verse 12, he dreamed of a ladder and went up into heaven. Verse 13, and stood there the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham. I am the Lord God of Isaac. See, he's not Jacob yet because Jacob's left out. Later on, he's, he does embrace this God. But it's kind of like when you're first called, all of a sudden God says, look, I'm his God and their God. I want to be your God but he begins to deal with him. And so he tells him that I'm going to, going to uh, you know, work with you and so forth. So now we see that, that Jacob you know, begins to uh, uh, make some changes and so forth and, and go on with his life. Uh, we get to Joseph, chapter 50, verse 10. Genesis 50, verse 10. <clears throat> when Jacob dies, Joseph mourns his father. He doesn't mourn him ten days. He doesn't mourn him five days. He doesn't mourn him 15 days. But in chapter 50 and verse 10, it says they made mourning the last verse or the last sentence of that verse for his father seven days. Now, it's really interesting that you also see that Job, who was a contemporary with Joseph, he was right around the same time as Joseph. And if you um, put in your margin or, or, or write down in your notes, uh, Job uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, you find that when Job... Now, Job was a godly man, and his friends were godly men, and they understood about God. And this was, it had been passed down. There's no priesthood at this time, because remember, Job offers the sacrifices himself. But when Job was so sick, and his friends came, it says when they got there, whatever day they got there, they stayed seven days. They sat with Job seven days. Why would you do that seven days? 
You mean these godly men might have some understanding about the Sabbath? Well, of course they did. Now, if we go to Exodus chapter 12, lo and behold, we find something very interesting that the um, that that Jacob knew, that Joseph knew, that Joseph's brothers probably knew. Exodus chapter 12. Now, do you remember when they were in the land where they were where they were at, and there was this famine that came through? And remember, you know, that's why they sent to Joseph to get corn because they didn't have any, and it was really difficult where they were living at. So it was kind of a bad place to be, wasn't it? I mean, everybody was starving, no, nothing there, and they went to, to Egypt. Now, Egypt in this case would picture, a very, would picture a very, very good time where they had plenty. They had lots of food still, because remember they'd stored it up. Who was the leader? Pharaoh, but Pharaoh loved Joseph. So Pharaoh was kind of like the father, and Joseph was like Christ, because, what, Joseph had been denied by his brothers, put in a grave, resurrected, exalted to second position. They didn't even know who he was. You know, they came to him, bowed down. He had the control of everything. And then he brought them out of the land they were in and settled them in a place he'd prepared for them, you know, Goshen, Indiana, and brought them out. And uh, right about now, I'd take issue with that, but, uh, but brought them out of this area and settled them in. Now, if you were God and you were going to arrange this, based on what you know with the holy days, what day do you think you would have that happen? You know, Jacob, who is the patriarch, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom, all the sons loading their family up and leaving a ravaged area, an area that's hit by famine and so forth, leaving that coming into a promised land, leaving the bad, coming out, crossing over to an area that's going to be ruled by Pharaoh, and there's only one guy under him, and that's, that's Joseph, the one who's been one of us, like Jesus, and, and he's got a place for us, and we're going to have a special... What day would you pick? Last great day? Maybe Feast of... Maybe the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe you'd pick that day coming out. What about Pentecost? Maybe Pentecost would be a good day, you think? To say, well, let's bring them out on Pentecost. What about the first day of unleavened bread? See? What about the first day of unleavened bread when everything is all bad and everything, and, and they come out and they're received on the other side and they enter into this wonderful area. Well, lo and behold, we get to Exodus chapter 12 and in verse 40, and it says, The sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. Now, God's working with that family. We find the Sabbath, we find commandments, we find statutes. Remember, holy days are statutes of commandment, of the fourth command. So if Abraham knew the statutes, he knew the holy days. And he certainly understood Passover. He understood about the lamb because when he sacrificed Isaac, Isaac said, Dad, I see the fire, I see the wood, but I don't see a lamb, Dad. And, and he said, God will provide the lamb. He didn't say a lamb. He said the lamb because he knew that he might die. He knew that he might get up there and there might not be a lamb to kill and sacrifice that God might have him kill and sacrifice Isaac. 
But he knew that he would resurrect him because Hebrews 11 says that Abraham knew that God could resurrect him. But how is that possible? Through the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So Abraham said, son, God will provide the lamb. And he went on in faith because he understood. And you look at the situation with Lot and Abraham. And God comes there and they wash feet and so forth. They go down in and they see Lot. And what do they do? They have unleavened bread. And then in the middle of the night, right at, at, at midnight, they're all around the door. They're struck with blindness and they leave. First they have unleavened bread. And then that area is destroyed and wiped out. Again, we see the holy days over and over. Shouldn't surprise us because these families are in contact with God. God says, look, I'm not working with the king of Egypt over here. I'm not working over in China. I'm not working with the American Indians over in America or the Japanese or the Africans. I'm working with one family here, just one. So as we trace their family history, here's the Sabbath, here's the Holy Days, time and time and time again. Now, it's important because you're that family now. And Satan's going to try to take those away from you. He's already trying to say, oh, well, when God brought you, called you, you know, he brought you in contact with it, but it was just some old guy and he was all messed up and he was real legalistic and, and now we're really coming on to the truth and you can cast that stuff aside. Well, where do you think that comes from? Same one that says, that's okay, you can eat whatever tree you'd like. Just have right at it. So Exodus continues in verse 41. It came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it's a family tradition. It says it is a night to be much observed. And you're supposed to pass it on to your kids. It says whenever your kids ask, you're supposed to talk about it. This is a family. This is how they all got there in the first place. Exactly the date. Not a day before. Not a day after. Not a week. Not, it wasn't a coincidence. Isn't that something? You know, it's been 430 years. And you know what? It was exactly... How'd they know it was that night? Well, they had the calendar. Was the calendar important? Well, it wasn't important to the Egyptians. It was important to the Hebrews. Because, see, they're a special family. They're called out. They have a special purpose. Out of their lineage comes the Messiah. And so God now begins to work with them, and he brings them out on the exact day. Not, not later, not earlier, not afterward. Now, as God begins to deal with the sons and daughters, the grandchildren of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, lo and behold, he says for the first time to him, he says, okay, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses, this Egyptian-speaking Hebrew, shows up, and because of his, his either speech impediment or possibly... Uh, uh, some problems with the language because they thought he was an Egyptian. Remember when he killed the Israelite and buried him? They thought he killed. They thought he was an Egyptian. And so God begins to work through him, and He says, "Go to them and tell them that I've heard their crying, and I'm going to bring them out." Well, let's go back to Exodus chapter five now. <clears throat> this is very important because as we do, we will see that lo and behold, just like Mrs. Armstrong, just like when God called you. It's like when God called, you know, and worked with Enoch and, and Jonah and Moses and everybody else, you find these Sabbaths and Holy Days. Because why would God work with you if he doesn't tell you his plan? What good is it? How can you be a preacher of righteousness? How can you be like Enoch? You know, we, so many people think, well, they didn't know about the plan of God. 
because the Sabbath and Holy Days weren't introduced until later. Baloney. How could he preach the sermons that he preached? How could he name his kids the things that he named them unless he knew? And if you walk with God, you don't have to pack a Bible along because you walk with him. says, God, what about this? That's why the disciples, they walked around with Christ and they would talk to him and say, well, what about this? What about that? Now, they had to write it down for me and you because Christ is gone. God the Father or God and Christ, you know, they don't walk around with people anymore. But they don't have to because it's right here. And Christ says, I have to go away that the Holy Spirit come. So now you've got the written word and you've got the Holy Spirit. And you can make sense out of that. So when God begins to deal with the family, he, um, he starts with the Sabbath. Exodus 5, verse 5. This is after Moses shows up and, and tell, talks to the uh, <clears throat> Israelites. And I'm sorry, let's read verse 1. Moses and Aaron went in and they told Pharaoh. They said, the Lord God said, let my people go, that they can hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Holy days. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Here they've been slaves for all these years and God shows up and says, okay, I'm going to deal with you. First thing he does is says, here's my card, and on my card is Sabbath and holy days. <coughs> Some have said, well, you know, you just need Jesus. Well, Jesus is very important. But the holy days glorify Jesus. It's not like there's one or the other. They're not against each other. So he says, I want him to go hold a feast. So he argues about it. Verse 5, Pharaoh says, People of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. <clears throat> like the ark rested, like God rested on the Sabbath. And again, what you do uh, with the Sabbath and holy days, you rest. So now we get to chapter 7. <clears throat> And as they begin to work with, uh, work with the different miracles and so forth, and look at the, uh, look at the days. Isn't it interesting that, uh, <clears throat> verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, 